where nobody knows your name is recorded in front of nobody. Hello and welcome to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. I am John. And I'm James. And today we're going to be talking Season 4, Episode 3, Someday My Prince Will Come. Quirky title, James. Yeah, it's uh, from Snow White. That's what Google taught me, so I'm going to believe it. (laughs) And uh, Google also told me that this episode aired on the 17th of October, 1985. I was going to say the summer of love. No, it's uh, the autumn of um, pubs. And... uh, (laughs) We know it's an autumn episode because the weather is a bit variable, and that means that there's a mystery coat left on a chair. This episode was written by Tam Silly and Norm Gunzenhauser. Before we uh, talk about the aforementioned mystery coat, we get a lovely cold open in here, and I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, they're watching a game on TV, but Diane is trying to explain why she's in Cheers, why she's a waitress in Cheers, because she still thinks it's kind of below her, or she tries to pretend that she thinks it's below her. She pretends that she's an undercover, she pretends to be one of them because she's working on a novel. Quite funny, it's quite a good sort of set up for this episode, because yeah, as you say, it makes Diane appear to be thinking she's above everyone. She's a better class above the rest of the bar and tries to distance herself from the rest of the bar as soon as someone who she perceives to be sort of more intelligent comes in, which is a sort of a middle-aged couple are in. We know Diane by now. We know her well enough that she may try to pretend she's not a part of the gang, but she is. She fits right in. I imagine they're getting quite annoyed of her leaving and coming back and saying she's above them, but then they see how the mighty have fallen. This idea of her fitting in, it comes in the form of a knee-jerk reaction to a Mexican wave, where Diane almost can't help but take part. Okay, here comes the wave. Oh, you have to go along with them or they get testy. I have a little tidbit here, which I think is quite poignant, and it's about the origins of the Mexican wave, or the perceived origins of the Mexican wave. First of all, not Mexican, according to the internet. So, you know, take it with a grain or a barrel of salt. It was started in the USA in the state of Washington, and it got known in Mexico by the televised games of the Seattle Seahawks. A lot of commentators call it the Mexican wave because they saw it for the first time by the Soccer World Cup in Mexico, 1986. I find this interesting because this episode of Cheers aired in 1985, so it predated how a lot of people saw the Mexican wave. Okay, that's quite interesting. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. So it's just a wave? Well, the Mexican wave is not Mexican, regardless of when it started. What is commonly called a Mexican wave and what is seen here in Cheers started before the common attribution of the origins of it uh, on a global scale. Cheers is making waves, John, basically. (laughs) I didn't do that for the pun. It just happened. You did it for the pun. We all know it. (laughs) Diane, like I say, she's been trying to distance herself and she goes, I'm doing it just so I fit in. You got to get them on side. And then in the second time the wave comes around, the couple do it with them. Should we go into the main plot? There's an A plot and then there's kind of select scenes throughout the episode which aren't really a B plot as such, but something else happening in the bar. The first plot, the A plot, which has the Someday My Prince Will Come, is a sort of Cinderella story with this coat you mentioned. A beautiful coat, a cashmere coat with hand stitching, tortoise shell buttons and a Bemberg lining. Diane gets quite obsessed with this coat. Yes, yes she does. And they are kind of speculating on what it would be. And really, I don't really care. (laughs) But my logic is, whoever it belongs to, they'll either 
take the coat or not. It really only matters what they look like if they are going to come back to collect it. And if they're not, then it's a free coat. <laughs> Dan gets very involved with this coat. She starts smelling the coat, identifies the tobacco blend and things like this, and starts like looking through the pockets, and pulling out dried rosebuds and stuff like that. She's in awe and she just wants to know who owns the coat and is convinced that whoever owns the coat is going to be the ideal man. Kara and Sam are sort of ignorant to the fact that this is the best man in the world's coat. And she becomes quite sort of fixated on it. Yes, and uh, I don't think it's healthy. But it seems to imply she's moved on from both Frasier and Sam. It's an interesting episode in that respect. I was surprised they had an episode so soon with Diane pursuing another love interest. Though I was happy to see that Sam and Carla were kind of making fun of Diane together. And it was nice to see that friendship between Sam and Carla. Because for a lot of episodes, particularly in season two, Sam and Carla disagreed a lot because of Sam's relationship with Diane. But it seems that Sam and Carla are now on good terms with each other, which is good. Yeah, that was quite a nice part of the episode. When the owner of the coat does phone to sort of make sure the coat's there before they collect it. Sam and Carla kind of egg Diane to arrange a date over the phone. They both have quite a good joke around this, and then afterwards Carla's like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. There's quite a good banter in the bar around that. They sort of arrange a blind date, which, contradictory to what Coach would think, is not a date with a blind person. It's a date with someone you haven't seen. I also find it a strange sense of irony that a lot of the dating habits now are arranged via phone but you see people's pictures first on dating apps. So we see that contrast here. That could be a new dating app where you take a picture of your coat, you turn out your (laughs) pockets and you just put that on and you wear that coat to the date so they recognise you. Oh, we just need a good snappy name for the app. We do. Can't think of it at the moment. By the end of this episode, we'll have one, okay? I'm not promising anything, but we are accepting suggestions. (laughs) So Diane and the Mystery Coat Man, that could be the name of the app. The Mystery Coat Man uh, arrange a date and he arrives at the bar. Carla says, oh, he's got socks. You're onto a winner. They mean he seems like a lovely man. How would you uh, How would you describe the classy gent that appears? A bit Art garfunkel Yeah, a bit of a frizzy fro, but he seems uh, to be everything that Diane thought he was going to be. Yeah, educated, funny, I'd say. You know, cracks a few jokes. Yeah. Which puts into a sort of a, a dilemma because Diane is almost accused of being shallow within this episode. She's almost trying to um, prove herself not to be. Yes, which is interesting because this has been something which has been discussed quite often, particularly with Sam and Diane. I mean, King of the Hills, a key episode of it. They've also discussed how Diane really only took the job because she was attracted to Sam in the first place. Yeah, Sam kind of uses that as his sort of proof. Yeah, and a rebuttal. Yeah. Name one other reason why anyone would go out with me. (laughs) Go on, name one. You can't, can you? No, Sam, I can't. (laughs) But then just go on a few dates with Stuart. Stuart Sorensen. They have quite a good time. Good opportunity to go through the cast, James. Yeah, let's go through the cast. Frank Dent as Stuart Sorensen. He also appeared in Family Ties, Hill Street Blues and Saint Elsewhere, among others. Don Terwilliger was uncredited as customer. The last episode he appeared in was season three, episode four, Fairy Tales Can Come True. Now, this is notable because the title of this episode, Someday My Prince Will Come, is named after a song from Snow White, which in itself is a fairy tale. Running theme. Yeah, nice tie-in there. That's all the guest cast. I think we can jump to the other storyline from a bit before we say how this main storyline ends. The other storyline is it's quite a fun one. I, I wish that it was explored a bit more. Carla shows up with 
Gino's science fair project. Gino's generator. <laughs> and uh, she's looking for Diane to help build it, I think, or just really kind of fix what's wrong with it. Yeah, it's not working. Fix it. Make the electricity, basically. And Diane doesn't know anything about it. She gets Cliff to help because Cliff knows things, apparently. I mean, he goes straight to it. And I think he does a good job of it. It suddenly does something. There's certainly electricity coming from it, whether it's what it's supposed to do or not. I find it odd, though, that Nick isn't one she went to for help. Considering he owns a television hospital, you would think he knew electricity fairly well. Well, he's always on and off the scene, isn't he? Yeah, but no, generators, they are foul beasts, John. You ever had trouble with generators? No. I have in my time. Now let's move on before I give any context. James, I tell you what, when, when the sort of legal battle that you're, you've been alluding to all these episodes finally comes out, you know, people are going to be shocked. People are just thinking, what has this man done in his life? Where is he from? Why does he have that accent? How old is he? I'm an international man of mystery. And I'll keep it that way. Well, I just thought of the comparison. Yeah? yeah like Tommy Wiseau. Where's he from? No one knows. <laughs> How old is he? No one knows. Where do you get all this money from? No one knows. <laughs> a few similarities. Um, <laughs> this generator. Cliff managed to get up and running. Yeah, it's, it's a bit weird. It went right from my neck to my lower regions, man. <laughs> Anything we can do? Yeah. Crank it up again. <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit strange. I, like, I, I didn't quite know what to make of that. He's quite a disturbing man, is Cliff. That's only kudos to John Ratzenberger for performing that character so well. So this episode, as most good episodes do, ends with a good old conversation in Sam's office between Sam and Diane, where Diane confesses to almost being shallow, asking Sam for help of how she can get out of the situation. Is this where Sam suggests some of the lines he's used to break up with women? Mm, I think the one that he advises her to go for is that she's got an infectious skin disease and crazy runs in her family. And she's like, no, I've got to be honest. Can't do that. So she goes out of the office to talk to Stuart. What does she do, James? Well, she thinks he's going to ask for some kind of commitment. Not marriage or anything, but, you know, like being exclusive. That's the word. And alarm bells ring off for Diane and she goes, Stuart, I have a contagious skin disease and insanity runs in my family. (laughs) My God, Diane, I'm, I'm terribly sorry to hear that. Thank you. I thought you should know. And he's like, okay. Anyway, what I was going to say was, there's this other woman, and <laughs> it's, it's a well-written scene, but it's a good sort of, quite funny end to the episode, especially one where it begins with Diane trying to highlight how she is different from everyone else in the bar by um, telling the other customers that like she's there to write a book, she's not one of them, then ultimately using Sam's lines to try and get out of a relationship. She's just like everyone else. Time for the trivia, James. That's the trivia bell. Do you want me to go first with a question? Yeah. In this episode, we talked about Diane rummaging through the pockets of the coat. What what does she find in the pockets? Her fantasy. No. no. She finds two tickets to Grand Kabuki and a dried rose, which she says must be very romantic. And Sam says, So we like to watch two fat guys with diapers butt heads. (laughs) What's that tell you? Dried rose. A dried rose. Pressed between a book kind of dried rose. Oh, I see. I thought you meant when you and I have gone to pubs or used to have gone to the pubs, they've started opening now. But remember when we used to go to pubs? That sounds so old, John. Remember when we used to go to pubs back in there? But remember then, and when it got late in the night, there was somebody walked by with a bouquet of flowers and you could buy a rose for quite cheap. I thought that's what it was. I mean, maybe, but if it was like left in a pocket for a while. I wonder how long the coat was in chairs for. Maybe it was. 
Yeah, the flower lady who walks the streets of Boston in the in the late hours. What a classy man. In this episode, who does Norm compare Cliff to as he's working on the science project? Dr. Frankenstein. Yes. Norm refuses to help. And then Sam goes, oh, free beer for the good deed. And then Norm goes, what about for Igor? And like hunchbacks over to the table to help. Like uh, young Frankenstein with um, Willy Wonka. Yes, the Mel Brooks one. Yeah. How does Diane identify the smell on the jacket left behind by Stuart? The answer is not using her nose. (laughs) Using her memory. Yeah, that's accurate. Some kind of tobacco blend, but I can't remember. Jack Meachin, her father's partner, used to smoke that tobacco blend. In this episode, when Stuart and Diane are walking into Cheers, Stuart's in the middle of a joke, and we hear the end of the joke. I want you to sort of say the punchline. So he says, well, so there we were, me, 25 soaking wet Japanese architects in my apartment. How does he end this joke? And I didn't have any brie. Yeah, and he said, I'm all on a brie. And I have no idea what that could have been about. I think it's just an anecdote. I imagine he was planning to host a dinner party, but he couldn't do so because plumbing had broken and he was waiting for a plumber to come round. And he was having this dinner party with Japanese architects, perhaps for some kind of business closing deal. And they came round. He didn't have time to get brie for the fondue for the dinner party, you know, because of the plumbing. And they all came round and the... Pipes exploded, and there they were, soaking wet Japanese architects, and he's all out of brie. Classic. (laughs) Yeah, you somehow made a logical sense out of that. (laughs) There's method in the madness, John. Or there's there's just madness. Jury's out. Jury? What are you talking about, James? Nothing. (laughs) More legal issues? Oh, look, final call. Well, that, that is the final call, James, and that means we've got to pick what our drink is. I don't think we haven't mentioned many so far this episode. Tell you what, we did get some free pints for helping fix a generator. We did get some free pints and a, a dried rose. Maybe a <laughs> uh, rose flavoured, rose scented, rose water. That's what I'm looking for. Rose water and a dried rose from the rose woman? Just a pint of rose water. Mmm. Okay, I- I'm happy with that. Sounds refreshing. It sounds romantic. <laughs> it might not be, but it sounds like it is. Don't think it is. But either way, I think we should raise the glasses, toast to... Uh, Fine coats. And remember, if you're hosting a dinner party, don't forget the brie, otherwise you'd have soaking wet Japanese architects plenty. On that note, thank you for listening to Where Nobody Knows Your Name. This has been a cheered podcast. (laughs) 